It's time for The Cable Guide, the podcast where I talk about every appearance of Nathan Christopher Charles Dayspring Ascani Sun Summers, the all-purpose adventure guy, otherwise known as Cable. I'm Grant Richter, and this is Episode 7. Good journey and welcome back to the show. Now, those of you that were with me last week will remember that I just finished talking about the Extinction Agenda. And I mentioned when I talked about that story that it contained three issues of The New Mutants. What I did not mention, however, was that issue 97 was Louise Simonson's last issue on The New Mutants after a very, very long run. Now, from this point going forward, Fabian Nicieza will be scripting The New Mutants and later X-Force and as an extension cable. But for the time being... It's going to be plotted by Rob Liefeld. And I believe this is only the second time that Marvel has turned over writing details to one of its hotshot artists. The first, of course, being Todd McFarlane with the adjectiveless Spider-Man series in 1990. Now, as I've mentioned several times, Louise and Rob had very different ideas of what Cable should be, even, there, even though there was no clear goal for him going forward. Now, having someone take over leadership of a team of teenagers that Louise had been writing for some time and had no doubt become someone emotionally attached to, she wanted Cable to be a mentor and a teacher, someone who could teach the new mutants not only to defend themselves better, but also wanted to give them a well-rounded education as well as a role model and a confidant. Rob wanted him to be a commander of soldiers. And as such, we are going to see a noticeable shift in Cable's attitude starting with issue 98. And until he leaves the book, in 1992, and the Cieza takes over plotting as well as scripting, we're going to be getting what I refer to as Magog Cable. Now, those of you that were crossing streams between Marvel and DC in the 90s may know what I'm talking about. Otherwise, some of you may be somewhat confused. So I wanted to take this little mini episode to talk about what Magog is the comic book Magog and not the biblical Magog and kind of see how that relates to how Cable is going to be portrayed for the next couple of years. So let's jump into it. Now, Magog is a character in the 1996 DC Comics miniseries Kingdom Come, which was illustrated by Alex Ross and co-written by Ross and Mark Wade. Now, I'm not really going to go into the plot of it, because if you haven't read it, you absolutely should, because it is amazing. But I will uh, describe the setting for you. So it takes place, uh, I would say about 30 to 40 years of whatever the present day is of the DC Universe. And this is a future where, because of an incident, Superman has lost his faith in humanity. And so he has retired uh, several years ago. And most of the other mainstream superheroes followed suit. And the gap has been filled with a new generation of superheroes who are much less responsible 
and are much more willing to use um, an unnecessary level of force. Not only are they quick to use force when it's not necessary at all, but they are quick to use lethal force. And this, this particular incident is a result of Magog using lethal force when it was arguably unethical. But who is Magog? Now, we don't get very much characterization of him. I think he only has a few lines in the entire book. He's intentionally one-dimensional, uh, other than the aforementioned uh, eagerness to use, I wouldn't say eagerness, but um, easy, his easy willingness to use violence. But I will describe him for you. So he is a tall, muscular, middle-aged white guy with white hair and facial scars. And he wears combat boots and tactical pants. And he wears a bandolier that's connected to a huge shoulder pad. And his neck in the left side of his chest and his left arm are apparently cybernetic. And if you think this sounds like Cable, that's intentional. Now, what sets him apart visually from Cable is the fact that his apparent cybernetics are gold instead of silver, and he wears a helmet with big, curling, golden ram's horns. Um, now, he also, instead of Cable's signature big choom-choom guns of the early 90s, Magog uses a very different weapon, which I will discuss in a little bit. Now, uh, Wade and Ross have said that they designed Magog to represent everything that they hated about the design of the newer breed of superheroes that were popping up in comics in the early 90s. This is a very evident. But what goes beyond that, and I think is unspoken but pretty obvious, is that uh, the characterization of Cable and, to a lesser extent, the newer breed of superheroes, and I'll be honest, I have not read Kingdom Come in a very long time, and I sadly no longer have a copy of it, but from what I remember, they are, you know, they're more like just street fighters, almost, where they're fighting, uh, heroes and villains are relatively indistinguishable, and they're fighting just for the sake of fighting. And I think this is not only a commentary on Cable, but just as um, Magog is the is considered the forerunner of the new breed of superheroes within the world of Kingdom Come. Cable is considered the forerunner of the new breed of superheroes that popped up in comic book publishing, and I would say most arguably from Image Comics. Um, you know, there were some uh, lesser known Marvel characters that popped up around this time that were of a similar vein. Um, I would say. Maybe Shatterstar is probably the most well-known and the most in, uh, longest lasting, but I would say Image is where they're probably the most pronounced. And I would say probably it's probably a commentary on Rob Liefeld's Extreme Studios wing of Image. And if this was intended as a criticism, I would say it was at least well-founded for a time because as we're going to see moving forward from New Mutants number 98 on, which we'll talk about next episode, we see a Cable who is less responsible when it comes to the kids that he's leading. He's no longer a mentor of them who is interested in them having a well-rounded education 
in addition to becoming more proactive in their defense, that he's more of a just a commander of, a, of paramilitary soldiers. And we will see he is very quick to use apparent lethal force. There are going to be, I think, at least three incidences between uh, New Mutants 98 and the time that Liefeld leaves X-Force in, um, was it mid-92, if I'm not mistaken? Late 92? Yeah, late 92, uh, where Cable uses lethal force not as a matter of self-defense, but as a matter of pragmatism or this is a cable more concerned with, uh, I would say, callousness instead of compassion. So when I refer to cable having a Magog moment, these are the kinds of things I'm talking about. Now, as much as a critical commentary as Kingdom Come was intended to be for, uh, for cable and characters like him, there are elements of Kingdom Come which are reflective of one element is may be intentional, it may not be, and the other one is definitely intentional, at least on Marvel's part, that reflects how the character develops um, both around the time that this book came out and the years immediately following it. Now, I mentioned that this book came out in 1996, and by 96, Cable had given up the soldier aspect of his personality. He had given up the guns. Uh, his psionic powers had developed. He had streamlined his look. And he was kind of like this psionic, almost messianic adventurer that ran around the world pretty much saving the day. Um, and as a character, he'd become more compassionate. He had become... Um, more of a supportive character. Uh, he wasn't with X-Force as much by then, but when he did interact with them, it was in more of a mentor role than it had been uh, at the time that Liefeld was writing it. And at the end of Kingdom Come, Magog gets, a, um, gets an arc where he redeems himself, kind of. Um, after you know, the whole mega plot of the book wraps up, we see where the more irresponsible uh, heroes have been consigned to Paradise Island, and Magog takes the role of, um, he accepts that he was in the wrong, and that Superman and the other more traditional heroes were in the right, and he takes on the role of helping reform the more violent uh, characters, um, some of which are almost pretty much straight up villains, but he, he becomes a, a figure of reformation. So this may be intentional on Wade and Ross's part as acknowledging that, yes, this character was based on Cable's original design and original personality, but we acknowledge that the character of Cable has uh, evolved since then. Probably not. They probably just wanted it to be a, a tidy ending. But it feels that way looking at it in retrospect. Now, the other thing is, um, again, Cable had given up the guns by this point. He was mostly using his telepathy and his telekinesis. But around 98, when I think James Robinson was writing, they wanted Marvel wanted to give him a weapon of some kind. And they gave him a weapon called the Scimitar. 
which is a Ascani weapon that helps the user focus their uh, telepathic and telekinetic abilities. And it looks pretty much like a spear. And I remember when I, f I wasn't reading cable in the late 90s and early 2000s, but I remember when I, would, I saw him in an issue of X-Men that Claremont had returned to write, and he had this spear thing. And I thought it was a weird choice for Cable. And for a long time, I thought that. Like, even through my reread a couple of years ago, I'm like, but well, that's a weird choice. Why would they choose a spear? I mean, if they wanted to go to, with a melee weapon, something like a big sword, like Kid Cable is using in the current Cable series, feels more right to me. But as I was kind of putting together the idea of doing this episode, I was looking up pictures of Magog, and I'd completely forgotten that Magog's weapon that he uses in Kingdom Come looks like a big spear. It's eventually, it's, I think, in uh, Jeff John's JSA series in the mid-2000s, uh, they kind of incorporate Magog into the mainstream continuity, and they refer to it as a lance, but it looks like a spear. So I feel like that this was Marvel kind of acknowledging the criticism that DC was was shading their way and going, yeah, yeah, we own it, okay. And maybe poking a little fun back at DC. Okay, you have your cable knockoff use a spear. We're going to have our actual cable use a spear. So that's, you know, maybe neither one of those things were intentional, but it feels like there's enough weight on either side that I would like to think that they were. That just about does it for the episode, but before I go, there are a few other things I want to take care of. First of all, I got my first uh, iTunes review. It's a five star, and I want to read it for you. It says, excellent show for Marvel junkies. Grant is back with another great show. I'm a fan of Sentinel of Liberty. That's my old Captain America podcast. So I tuned in for this show. Grant is bringing back all the excitement of the early days of Cable and the coming of the Image Boys. Just as Cable has had many iterations, I'm excited to watch this show grow and change with each new appearance. Tune in. And that is by Sean Ross of the Pulp to Pixel Podcast Network. You should definitely tune in for their shows. Uh, the show that I most know Sean from, from their network, is the Secret Wars and Beyond podcast, which is great. And you guys should go check that out. Now, if you want me to read your review on the show, well, you'll have to leave me one. And so you can do that. Uh, I don't have iTunes myself, so I don't know how to search for things on iTunes. But if you Google Cable Guide Podcast, it is the second result that pops up on Google. And if for some reason you can't go to it from that way, you can always go to the main site for the podcast, which is anchor.fm slash cable guide, which is also the first result that pops up on Google when you put in Cable Guide Podcast. And that page has links to the different platforms where you can listen to the show, including iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. And if you want to leave me a five-star review, that'd be great. That would just be a nice thing for you to do. And if you leave me a nice review, I will read it on the show and say thank you. And if you leave me a bad review on the show, I will read it on the show also and then say stab your eyes. So there is that. Um, also... If you guys have any questions about Cable, because I know his continuity is complicated, and I know the continuity of the Summers family in general is complicated, I would love to answer them for you on the show. You can always hit me up on Twitter, at StormChaser2162. You can uh, tweet at me, you can or drop it in my DMs. 
And you can also send me an email at cableguidepodcast at gmail.com. I would love to get your questions and I would love to read them on the air for you. Now, uh, one other thing before I go, there's an issue I've been dancing around since the podcast started, and that is the issue of problematic 90s X-Men comic book creators. I've talked about Rob a little bit. Um, I've talked about Art T. Bear a little bit. Uh, we are a ways away from, uh, we're about a year and a half away from getting to a crossover that includes Scott Lobdell, who has had sexual misconduct issues. And we're even farther away from getting to Jeff Loeb, who has racial issues. Um, I don't think I'm ever going to be talking about anything written by Warren Ellis, who also has sexual misconduct issues. But he does write um, an arc of X-Force in the very late 90s or in 2000s. And he writes an arc of X-Man, which I'm debating whether I'm going to even talk about that series or not. But I do want to talk about how I'm going to handle problematic creators because I'm not going to avoid them because the X-Men continuity is so tightly knitted in the 90s that I think to skip over something just because I have a problem with the creator is going to be doing a disservice to the continuity in general. And especially with Jeff Loeb because he writes a huge arc of Cable and I really like his work. So the strategy that I'm going to be going with is disambiguating the creator from the creation. So when I get to their work, I will drop another notice like this saying, this creator's coming up, here's the problems I have with this creator, and I will be acknowledging them in the credits, but from that point on, I will be separating the product from the producer. I will be if the writing is good, I will be saying I won't be saying, you know, Loeb did a good job on this one. I'll say the writing in this is good. Or as we're going forward with Rob, because I have increasing problems with Rob the more I research him. He he has made comments on social media um, in regard to Peter David having uh, Shatterstar come out as pansexual. That could be read as being homophobic, and he just comes across as kind of a jerk in his professional dealings with other creators, especially with Nicieza, who I have a huge, I'm, I, I love Nicieza's work. I think he is a very decent person. I like a lot of the social issues that he stands for. And it bugs me that Rob completely um, is dismissive of Nicieza's contributions to Cable, contributions to Deadpool. Uh, even though I don't care about Deadpool as a character, it's still you know work that was done that was significant. Um, and especially, you know, how much Nisiaja contributes to Cable in the 90s and in the 2000s. So, uh, again, when I get to the stuff, if I, you know, if I like something about the work, I'll say, well, the, you know, the art on this did this good thing or the writing on this did this good thing. But I'm not going to praise the creator when I do that. I'm going to praise the creation. So that officially does it for the episode. Um, next, ex the next episode, I'm going to be talking about the final arc of New Mutants, issues 98 through 100. I'm looking forward to that, and I will be back to talk to you about that soon, because with Cable, it's always just a matter of time. 
body slide by one.